each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth, earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord Almighty saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. He said, Go and tell this people, Be ever hearing, but never understanding, be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the hearts of this people calloused, make the ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, For how long, Lord? And he answered, until the city's lies ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, then the holy seed will be the stump in the land. Thank you, Chris. It's great to be with you, friends. Uh, can I pray again as we come to this great passage? Our Lord, please humble our hearts before your holy word so that we might be lifted up by the incredible news of your grace to us. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, I wonder when, the la when was the last time you had an encounter that just shook you out of yourself? Do you know what I mean? Something that happened that just kind of takes you out of uh, where wherever you're at. Uh, the most recent time I could think of was um, I was down at Kitan Rocks with the family. I was there trying to be in the moment and enjoying it. Um, but just finding my thoughts drifting and uh, worrying about all kinds of different things. You probably know the feeling, right? Um, you try to be in the moment, but there's all these things on your mind and you, it, it's a real struggle. But then all of a sudden, all of a sudden something happened that just totally took all of my focus, uh, that totally blew away all of my thoughts. Uh, suddenly, not really far out at all, we saw something like this. Uh, a southern right whale, I don't know if that's the right type of whale, but... That's not an actual picture. Uh, but it was, a, a whale started to play, uh, just offshore. And I mean, not, I mean, really play. Uh, it, it's, it, I've never experienced it before. I don't know if I ever will again. It was stunning. This whale was jumping right out of the water and splashing right down. And it was incredible. 
Uh, it's not like it wasn't like those wa- times. You know, you go whale watching and you see this brief sort of glimpse of some kind of grey shadow, uh, hundreds and hundreds of meters out, and you're not sure if it's a rock or a whale. But you can notch that down as a, a, no, it wasn't like that at all. This incredible animal was breaching over and over again, forcing its huge body out of the water and slapping down with this massive splash. It was exhilarating. And for this brief moment, for this brief time, it totally changed my perspective. I forgot all about my worries, and I was just in awe of this, of this massive, majestic thing. Well, I reckon that's a tiny little bit like the experience we're reading about in Isaiah 6, except there's an important difference. Uh, Isaiah's experience would be more like if I was out in the water swimming and then all of a sudden this whale breached right next to me and slammed its body right next to me. That would be awesome and incredible and exhilarating, but also utterly terrifying, right? That would be something more like what Isaiah experiences in this chapter, in Isaiah 6. Something more like what we're seeing here. Well, the situation that Isaiah's in in chapter 6 is one where uh, he had lots to worry about as well, actually. It's one where everyone had lots to worry about. Uh, you get that in the, in the very first few words there. It's uh, in verse 1, it says, it's in the year that King Uzziah died. King Uzziah was the king of Judah. He died about 740 BC, before Christ. Uh, and He was a king who started really well, but he ended really badly. Uh, you can read about it in 2 Chronicles chapter 26, if you're taking notes and want to have a look later. Uh, Uzziah was a king. He led the nation to great prosperity. Uh, but later in the, his reign, he had this massive fall. He became proud in his heart, and he arrogantly does something that only a priest was allowed to do. He goes into the temple and takes the um, incense and um, burns it for himself. It sounds small, but what Isaiah is basically doing is he's thumbing his nose at the holy God who had set up his temple in this way, and God strikes him down with leprosy for the last years of his life, uh, and his son takes over his kingdom. So it's a time of real sort of, this time when King Uzziah dies, it's a time of, of national failure in leadership. Uh, it's also a time where there's this growing international threat. Uh, the nation of Assyria is a growing threat at this point in time, and they're kind of expanding their borders and they're coming close to threatening uh, Israel in the north and Judah in the south. Uh, so it's a real tense situation, lots of a situation of political instability, of regime change, of international threats. Does it sound familiar? <laughs> sound familiar? Uh, and Isaiah had lots to worry about in that context. But right in the middle of this situation, he has this massive perspective quake this massive shake-up, something shakes him out of all the failures and conquests of all the kings and nations around him, shakes him out of that presence and lifts him right up to the throne room of the true and eternal King of Kings, the Lord of Lords who reigns over all. Isaiah writes, uh, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Isaiah is given this glimpse of the awesome majesty of God. He's, he's so high and exalted uh, that just the edge of his robe, like just a tiny bit of the edge of his robe, fills the whole temple that Isaiah is in at this point. 
And in verse, verse 2, he sees these seraphim flying around God. Uh, literally, their name means fiery ones or burning ones. Uh, it's the only time they appear in the Bible, but these are angelic beings who, if you encountered them, you would be utterly terrified. Uh, but notice what they're doing. These glorious burning ones, these seraphim, are covering themselves with their wings before this high and exalted Lord. Even they, even the fiery burning ones who would terrify us, even they can, cannot be in his, in his presence without shielding themselves from his white-hot, pure holiness. And that's what they're singing about. They're calling this song of praise to one another. Holy, holy, holy. Do you get the picture? Really, absolutely, magnificently, more holy than anything else. Holy is the Lord Yahweh, the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. They praise his holiness. His glory fills not just the temple, but the whole earth. And in verse 4, you get their, their song is enough to set the, the whole temple shaking um, and filled with smoke. It's this vision of just being overwhelmed. I mean, imagine if this whole building started to shake and it was filled with smoke and you had these, this vision of these angelic, terrifying beings and, and the Lord of Lords sitting on his throne. It's a vision that it's overwhelming. It, it presses home the otherness of God. He's utterly unique and set apart in everything he does from everything and everyone else. Because that's what the word holy means. It means set apart, other, distinct, separate, different. This Lord, this God of the universe, is so blindingly good and pure and righteous and just. He's so white hot in his holiness that even the burning ones can't face him. Uh, it's a little bit like the sun. I, sometimes, uh, do you ever stop to think how terrifyingly massive the sun is? <laughs> uh, we just we just get a, terif- a, a tiny little fraction of its power here on this little blue dot that we live on, right? We get a tiny fraction of its power. Um, on a really hot day, what well, we might get mid forties here, uh, and that's a te- you know that's a really hot day. The temperature on the surface of the sun. Five and a half thousand degrees. Five and a half thousand degrees. And I think just like we often enjoy the benefits of the sun without really often considering how awesome it is, sometimes we can be like that with God, can't we? Uh, we can enjoy his benefits, his blessings, without ever acknowledging his awesome holiness. Isaiah is given in this vision a glimpse of this. And how does he respond? How does he respond? Well, you can see it there. He walks up to God and says, Right, I'm glad I've got you here, Lord. I've got a few questions for you. Uh, I'm not sure I like some of what you've been doing. There's parts of your word that make me feel pretty uncomfortable. And look, I know you're busy, but I've come up with a few suggestions. (laughs) No, he doesn't say that, does he? What does he say? You can see it there in verse 5. Faced with this Lord, woe is me, woe to me. I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. You see, faced with this new perspective on how utterly holy the Lord is, the Lord of the universe, he sees 
he, he has a new perspective on God, he's, but he sees himself completely differently as well, right? He sees himself properly in the light of that one. And he cries out, woe. Last week we saw Isaiah's woes, remember, to the people of Judah. And he, he doesn't stand apart from them. He has his own woe to pronounce on himself. God is so so holy, so incredibly good that sin cannot come into contact with him. And in the searching light of God's holiness, Isaiah is exposed and undone, is ruined. Uh, it, it's a little bit like, kind of reminds me of, you know Peter's reaction when Jesus does a miracle, a miraculous catch of fish, and he falls on his knees and he cries out, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Um, or the Apostle John in the book of Revelation, the end of the Bible, when he encounters the risen Jesus in all his glory, what does he do? He falls on his feet. He falls at his feet as though dead. Uh, whenever someone glimpses even a, a fraction of the holiness of God, they are overwhelmed. They have this same reaction of how unthinkable it is that they would have anything to do with Him. It's so different to the casual view of God in Aussie culture, right? Uh, he's the big guy upstairs, who of course would forgive me. That's his job, all right? Uh, Our friends, we need this corrective, don't we, from God's holy word. We need this perspective quake to shake us out of our small view of God. He is the utterly holy Lord of the universe, whom we have no claim on. And in the light of his holiness, we we too are exposed and undone, and we would cry out like Isaiah did. Woe to me. For us to have anything to do with this one is as unthinkable as taking a walk on the surface of the sun. (laughs) Friends, I know that some of us have struggled with Isaiah's message in these opening chapters, but I want to urge us all, please, not to resist the Spirit's sword as he works on your heart through his words. We need it. We need it because otherwise otherwise our perspective on what Jesus has done will be shallow and emptied of its transforming power. Do you see what happens to Isaiah as he goes through this experience? You see the transformation that he goes through. He has given up hope in himself, and it's right at that moment, it's right at that moment that the incredible and transforming grace of God shines through. God does for Isaiah what he cannot do for himself. What he cannot do for himself. Uh, In verse 6, God sends one of the seraphs with a live coal taken from the altar and he touches Isaiah's mouth with it. And he says, see, this has touched your lips. Oh, and these wonderful words. Imagine how Isaiah would be feeling having hearing these words. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. Uh, the altar in the Old Testament, uh, in the Old Testament temple, was a sign that pointed forward to the real and ultimate sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And here is a stunning and beautiful picture of the gospel for us, friends. God is God taking away sin through a sacrifice He provides, ultimately through the sacrifice of His own Son. And this is just transforming; is utterly transforming. 
um, it, it opens up for us a, a stunning reality. Uh, the, the author Tim Keller puts it like this. He says, the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Oh, yes. Yet, at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Than we ever dared hope. So, you see how wonderful this is. Here is one whose holy light shines right into you. Right down to the depths of your being, exposes it all, and yet still loves you. Loves you so much that he provided the only perfect sacrifice for your sin. And do you see how this transforms Isaiah? Uh, it's a, quite remarkable, actually, as you read on. Verse 8, uh, God has a mission. He has a job, and he calls out for someone to take it up. Verse 8, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And then Isaiah says, Here am I! Send me! He's, he's, he's totally changed. He's gone from this quivering mess to that, you know, that kid in class who always puts his hand up right at the start and for everything and says, Yes, yes, pick me, pick me! <laughs> Isaiah is totally transformed. Uh, he, says, he, he says, Yes, here am I. Pick me. How can I serve you? Anything, Lord. Oh, God the Holy Lord who has done this for me, how can I serve you? Here am I. He's so overwhelmed by the amazing grace of this utterly holy God. He's so filled with thankfulness that when God says, I have a job, he doesn't check his diary. He doesn't even know what the job is. He just knows that he can trust this God who has done the impossible for him. And Isaiah needed this experience of exposure and atonement and renewal. He needed it. He needed this new perspective on God and on himself. Uh, he needed it because God's mission for him is going to be a hard one. You read that as you, as you keep reading on in verse 9. God, God's mission for Isaiah is to, is to say to the people, be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing but never perceiving, make the heart of this people callous, make their ears dull and close their eyes. Uh, Isaiah's commissioned with a message that is actually going to further harden the hearts of the people of Israel. Uh, it wasn't a popular message. Uh, it didn't win him uh, many friends. Uh, it wasn't a popular message. It's this same message that actually that we've been reflecting on the last few weeks, the message of judgment we've already seen. God is saying through Isaiah that his judgment on Israel is now inevitable. But don't miss the tone here, friends. This isn't a message to people who otherwise would be honestly seeking after God, but God shuts them out. No, it's the Holy One's message to his people who have already hardened their hearts to him, who have already rejected him. And Isaiah's message would further harden and confirm the direction that they're already committed to. It's not an easy message for Isaiah to give. And then in verse 11, you can kind of picture him saying this, right? How long, how long do I have to give this message to your people, O Lord? And perhaps God's answer isn't the one he was looking for. Uh, there's this devastating picture until cities are ruined and the land is deserted. And even when it looks like it's over, burning comes again. It's this 
immense judgment from God on the people of Israel. They have set themselves against this holy God with, at, at this point with such finality that it becomes impossible for them to turn. And this judgment happens. Uh, first to the Israel in the north and then Judah in the south, they were sent far away into exile. The land was forsaken. But, it, but notice even here, things don't end in judgment. Uh, God's judgment is a refining one, a purifying one. Isaiah's commissioning ends with this beautiful, tiny, uh, this tiny seed, this tiny word of grace that would end up blooming to become a wonderful tree. Um, Sin and judgment do not have the final word, friends. What is glimpsed here will eventually become, actually will become the dominant theme in Isaiah's vision. As from chapter 40 onwards, he looks forward to the full fruition of this. But in verse 13, there will be this holy seed. There will be a new beginning, a new plant, a new people of God who instead of being terrified by God's holiness would actually share in it. They would be a holy seed. They themselves would be holy. Well, there's lots um, that's not clear at this point. Who this holy seed is, it sort of gets filled out partially throughout Isaiah. But this whole chapter actually comes to its ultimate fulfillment in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, Friends, apart from Jesus, our story finishes at verse 5. It does. Woe to me, I am ruined. And it may be today that you recognize you've never let yourself actually contend with that, be confronted by the utter holiness of God and by the deep reality of your own sin. Please don't let this day pass without confessing and repenting your sin before this one. Because the amazing news of the gospel (laughs) is that this one who is terrifying in his holiness is also stunning in his grace. Stunning in his grace. And in Jesus he has done the unthinkable. He has satisfied both his holiness and his love. He has made it possible for us to walk on the sun He has made it possible for us to have a relationship with him as his children, adopted through Christ. See, Jesus gave his life, the ultimate sacrifice, so that you could hear the Lord say, your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. So you could let down your defenses and admit before God that in yourself you're more sinful than you ever knew but that in Christ you are more loved and accepted than you ever dreamed. And so that you, like Isaiah, could rise up from that being filled with wonder. So filled that when God says, I've got a job, you say, pick me! (laughs) Of course, what can I do for you, Lord? I won't worry about the results. Even if it's hard, even if it's not received well, even if it's a thankless task, I just want to please you, my holy Lord, my loving Lord. And this, friends, is the wonderful perspective, the perspective that is full of wonder of Isaiah 6. This is the perspective that is made even more wonderful 
in the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. I want, I want to invite you now to pray with me. I'm going to lead us in a prayer of confession. Perhaps this may be the first time you've prayed a prayer like this with depth uh, and, and real meaning. Uh, but for all of us, it's a good thing for us to do. Uh, not to, This isn't about wallowing in low self-esteem. It's actually seeing reality and being oh, so wonderfully lifted up by the gracious hand of your loving King. Uh, so I invite you to pray in the, uh, out loud if you're comfortable doing so. Um, but to come before our Almighty God. The prayer is a little bit old, so there's some old language in it, uh, but a, a rich and deep one. So um, I invite you to join with me as we confess our sins, knowing the incredible sacrifice that God has poured out in Christ. Friends, let's pray together. Almighty God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, maker of all things, judge of all people, we acknowledge with shame the sins we have committed by thought, word and deed against your divine majesty, provoking most justly your wrath and indignation against us. We earnestly repent and are heartily sorry for all our misdoings. Have mercy on us, most merciful Father, for your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ's sake. Forgive us all that is past, and grant that from this time forward we may serve and please you in newness of life, to the honour and glory of your name, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.